It's such good shit. I think now's a good time to uh, look in the mailbag and read some uh, fan emails that we've gotten. Did you all know that we've been getting emails? Yeah, I've got a couple of my guys on it. Wait, Alex got email guys and I don't have email guys? Is there? We are the email guys. We are his email guys. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he doesn't have guys. Is there not room in the budget for us all to have an email guy? We, We don't have that many emails. All right, let me just read one. All right, this is from Joseph. Joseph says, Dear such good shit. Fuck you. Sincerely, Joseph. Well, thanks for reaching out, Joseph. That was great. Uh, and then we got one more here. This is hold from... on, hold on. Uh, fuck you, Joseph. I'm not. I'm not like mad. I'm not gonna sit down for that. You're a real piece of <laughs> shit. Right. You're a little scumbag. Fucking Mark. wow. Jesus Christ. Uh, and this front one is from Andy. Andy says, "I listened to the first episode of y'all going over the WrestleMania rankings, and I have to say, I completely disagree with every one of the points that you brought up." You guys are marks. You should be ashamed of yourselves and you should watch more AEW. What a fucking tool. I think he's probably right on all accounts, honestly. Wow. I stand by what I say at all times. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if I had to do it again, I would pick the exact same, make the exact same picks. uh, But I am indeed a mark and should watch more AEW. So. So, speaking of AEW, uh, let's talk about Collision. Um, so, AEW announced, or I guess technically um, Warner announced it first, that TNT is going to get the new two-hour Saturday show, which is going to be called AEW Collision, uh, to be headlined by stars such as, and this is from the press release, Thunder Rosa and Miro. Now, I'm not taking anything away from Thunder Rosa and Miro, right? But those are the two headliners that you put on your press release? Like the two top guys? Or gal and guy? Like, <sighs> It's weird because they have people that aren't doing a whole lot on Dynamite right now that they could use on that show. Uh, I will say, though, Miro is a star. He might not seem like one right now because AEW hasn't been doing much with him, but he is a star and he yeah, will shine on that show. If they're going to actually, you know, showcase him, he's going to do well. They did showcase him on Dynamite and he did well. Uh, for my understanding, he walked out over uh, creative disputes, probably saying, I'm not going to let you guys just beat me and ruin my marketability if I had to imagine. Um I don't know. I mean, presumably we're getting all the champions on the Saturday show as well, right? Yeah, they they showed um, Orange Cassidy and MJF on the poster. So the and presumption is, yes, so the presumption is champions will be on both shows, which makes sense. I don't think AEW needs to spin off new belts or more belts at this point. That's <laughs> God, definitely totally not. not not needed. It, we don't it need just a second feels to world me... champion. 
feels to me like Saturday is really like the outcast island where they're putting all the people who have issues with uh, the young <laughs> Yeah, boats. and it's very... Which could be obvious. Good. It could be. Like, Mira's problem is he didn't want, you know, 180-pound dudes pinning him, which I think is probably fair. Probably a, a good booking decision, mm-hmm. right? Um, I don't know. I don't know what Thunder Rose's deal was. Was she hurting people or... I don't know. I don't fully know what the deal with her was other than there was definitely backstage drama between her and the other women. But like everyone's very vague about it. And quite frankly, I don't care. I think she's good in the ring. Just get her back out there and let her work. I mean, the big one is punk. If they get punk, it's not going to matter. Punk is going to draw more viewers than dynamite, even on an inferior night of TV. I'm going to, Putting down the gauntlet right now. They're going to have more viewers the first Saturday show than they will that following Dynamite. Well, sure. That's going to happen no matter what. Um, It's a matter of can they keep up that momentum week to week. And if Punk's there every week and has some good feuds going on, then sure. I think that's definitely a possibility. And the rumored initial feud is him and Samoa Joe, which with that ROH tape library behind them Mm -hmm. could be pretty The promos for that would be amazing. Yeah. So it, it all hinges on Punk. I mean, this show's going to be an unmitigated disaster if Punk doesn't show up. Just well, is. so as as of now, as of earlier today, everyone was still reporting that Punk's not official for it yet. That was the original plan, right? This was going to be Punk's show, and then there were some issues with uh, him and Tony and Ace Steel, and blah, 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 and he's not on board at the moment. So the question is, is he going to get on board before the first show? The first show's coming up in a few weeks. like, Or are we just Marks and he's working us? <sighs> but why? If this is the work, why? Why is this the work? To make people yeah, disinterested? Have, have a surprise. Or, but my- part of it could be to keep up the facade that he's got legitimate heat with Khan and throughout the organization right i think my take on this is kids who haven't gotten to see punk at his peak strap in like you're about to see cm fucking punk like this is going to be the you know the rebel calling people out talking shit about the office all that stuff and so matt to your point i feel like you know he the, the idea of him working us here could be to simply keep that mystique going, right? I mean, if they announce this huge presser, Punk's doing this new show, blah, 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 sort of buries the hatchet. Maybe he doesn't want that public. Yeah, it, it that would be very interesting. Like, this is all just to build up the anti-authority kind of deal with him, which is what Punk does best. And then he just kind of he's like, I am the second show like I am collision. And he just sort of runs things over there and causes chaos over there. Right. And or is it like, you know, back when we had WCW NWO is like a split show. Right. Is it sort of punks contingent versus the Young Bucks in kayfabe, but also sort of in reality? Are we going to get to see that play out on screen? Does that make Collision Thunder? Um, it's probably more like NWO sold out if that was like a weekly TV show. 
Well, they did right? the NWO like Nitro the one night. Yeah, you, you get where I'm going with this. I think I that there's, there's potential, and I think we are building towards a punk Kenny Omega showdown in England. Um, yeah. And and so th- potentially that's how you get there, right? You've got to keep that interest alive for several months now, right? And so if Punk comes back and he's just working with guys and everything's hunky-dory, it's not going to be as compelling. If you can find a way to keep keep us guessing, you know, week to week, is Punk going to walk out? What's the state with Punk? I think that's probably a, a good place to be. Or maybe he just fucking hates Tony Khan and isn't coming back. I don't know. It's quite a big middle finger to Tony Khan if they went through this process of setting up this new show, putting Punk's guys basically on that roster, and and then at the last minute him be like, nah, you pissed me off again, and like doesn't come back. It's just everything he's doing seems to be to get attention and why else would he need to get attention if he's not planning on you know returning to the ring soon so let me let me let you in on a little secret about cm punk as much as he says he wants to be left alone and have his privacy and doesn't that this that whatever he craves attention he always has and he always will yeah i mean that the the best in the history of the industry have that trait right You've got to believe you're the best if you want to be the best. Um, you know, I, I think Punk takes a lot of heat for being difficult, but you know who else was difficult? Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold Steve Austin. All of those guys have had issues um, behind the scenes, walkouts, all that stuff. So, not saying Cena he's in that tier. Did some stuff but, to younger guys too in the 2010s and also Cena's just by he's just a special kind of guy he just seems like a really good dude and is sort of the outlier in the industry well it's also going to say roman reigns every report about him is that he's nice to everybody he he doesn't try to force you know booking decisions like he seems like a genuinely good guy as well i also think that's a generational shift though yeah also you got to remember that roman's like the guy that literally could not possibly get over for like eight years and they just kept giving him whatever they needed to so like probably keeps keeps you really humble humble. Yeah. yeah um i think we'd be remiss if we didn't discuss the fact that the collision logo is a copy of the wcw nitro logo hell yeah brother i mean the only thing that would make it closer is if TNT reverted to their previous logo for the <laughs> network and use that on there. Uh, otherwise, I mean, the fonts are like identical. Well, it's I was going to say, can we get insane. a new commentary team for Saturday? And is there a chance we get the living legend back in the mix? I don't think to really make it nitro. I don't. I would love to see Mike Tanay. Yeah, Mike Tanay is for separate from him having a WCW run. Mike Tanay is one of the greats in the Mm -hmm. industry and it sort of sucks that he you know i guess he put in his time in tna and that that's kept him from getting an opportunity now with some of the big companies but well i think he's gotten out of it um he's doing other things i forgot i i heard a podcast about a year or two ago 
about Tanay. I want to say he he's involved with sports betting stuff now. I I could be wrong, but I, I want to say that like he's doing a completely different thing now. But we desperately need new commentary for say, the look and feel of the show needs to be different, mm-hmm. and I think it would be a good idea to. Um, you know, have real commentators and not wrestler cosplayers in masks commentating. Dude, okay, so give me Shivani, give me Tanay, and who was the guy towards the end of WCW? Give me CM Punk on color. No, he doesn't want to work. Keep him, keep him working. Oh, okay. If yeah, if he's not going to work, sure. Uh, who was the guy that uh, was it? Mark Mike Madden? Mike Hudson. Mike Hudson. It was Hudson, something Hudson. Was it? I know who you're talking about. He was um, the dude who was like the very dying days. Yeah, he did commentary. Man. You can you can find an ex wrestler to do color, um, but I, I think the play by play should be, you know, Shivani kind of Scott Hudson, own. Scott Hudson, okay. Scott Hudson, Mike Tenay, Tony Shivani. Boom, done. Do it. Or hear me out. Hmm. They could do something original and stop trying to be WCW because WCW fucking failed. WCW did not fail because of presentation. WCW for years had over WWF, the presentation, big fight feels the, but the pro sports, um, WCW died because of business decisions. Yeah. I didn't say that that's not why, but it's a branding thing and don't this brand is something yourself that, like a loser. Yeah, yeah. You are branding yourself with a style and a sense and a look that is literally synonymous with the losers. Okay. So hold on. This is revisionist history. And I've seen other people talk about this before. Um, Andrew, to be fair to you, you didn't live through the Monday nitro era. Like I did. And even to an extent, Alec did WCW was not a loser. Until the very, very end. And even then, the only reason they got branded a loser is because WWF bought them and the winners rewrite history, right? So in WWF's version of history, yes, WCW was a loser. Not taking into account for the fact that for 83 weeks, as we all know, WCW beat WWF in the ratings. They were not losers, Yeah, I understand that. I'm not saying that that's not true, but I mean, you said it in your statement. WWE played revisionist history. The perception amongst wrestling fans is that WCW, they're losers. Sure. Why would you want to? Perception is reality. That's true. I I see, Andrew, what you're saying from like a branding standpoint. Doesn't matter if it's true or not. A dead brand's a dead brand. Mm hmm. Um, it, it felt like it, it worked it, better when their branding skewed towards Bullet Club because that was such a big thing that only sort of dissipated. Yeah, but they don't even have failed. the Bullet Club. <laughs> None <laughs> of them are there. Yeah, but like the people, the young that... fuckaroos don't count. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Look, WCW tickles my jollies. I love it. Bring Bill Goldberg in. Fuck it. Let's do it live. Well, speaking of let's do it live, uh, welcome to Such Good Shit, a wrestling podcast where the three of us who are brothers get together and talk about all the things that make professional wrestling such good shit. Um, so starting off this week, uh, we are bringing back 
such good shit versus the drizzling shits, uh, a segment where we go around and bring up a topic and talk about it and decide, is it such good shit or the drizzling shits? So, uh, eeny, meeny, money, mo, Andrew, you're up first. What do you have? So my such good shit is going to be uh, Shinsuke Nakamura versus Finn Balor. Um, what a fucking pairing. Yeah. Um, when I saw... So earlier in the day, I saw the card as it stood earlier in the day, and that wasn't the match. Nakamura was actually supposed to be uh, in the six-man tag at the end, and I was like, okay, whatever. And then come showtime, obviously things changed and it was Nakamura versus Finn. And I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Like two of my favorite guys who, who've never quite gotten to the level they should be at, um, just beating the shit out of each other. Like it's just a good time. Yeah. Obviously it wasn't like a big pay-per-view match. And personally, I don't really want to watch either of these guys lose right now, but, uh, you know, if we had to pick between the two of them, I'm really glad to see Balor getting back up there. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that they build him up to be a credible threat. If not the person that inevitably takes the world heavyweight title from whoever gets it next, that would be preference for me. Yeah. You want to talk about the bullet club? I think Balor, you know, at the bullet club's peak was probably the best in the world. Um, yeah. And I don't throw that around lightly. And I still think he is he's every bit the worker AJ Styles is without any of the push. So I, I do think, you know, he's a similar age now to what AJ was when AJ came in. It's not too late. And I and I no, think we're not trending in the right direction. Yeah. I mean look, Judgment Day rejuvenated Finn's career. It rejuvenated everyone's career in that. Now he in should that have fashion. been Edge. Edge can go fuck yeah. off for what he what he did at yeah. Mania. Um, I don't I don't understand that booking decision, but yeah, no, I mean, Balor's definitely on the right track and that world heavyweight championship is coming to him sooner than later. And I hope so. All right. So I think we're all in agreement that that was such good shit. Um, so mine is, um, is a such good shit for me. It's heel Trish Stratus. Uh, I'm a big fan of heel Trish Stratus, uh, on Monday night, her promo, when she came out and was dressing down, Becky was great. I like her attitude that she's got. It's, it's a little different than when she was heel back in the day, but I like it. It's very snarky, very, she doesn't go into the Karen territory, which is good, right? She keeps herself differentiated from the people that are doing that kind of gimmick, but you know, like she's sitting there and she's like, Corey, what what town is this? What town is this? Oh, like the chocolate? It, it, it's old like, school heat. Like oh, she's yeah. She's really playing an old school heel. Oh, yeah. And she does it so fucking well. Yeah. It's so good. It's great because uh, there's a room for an old school heel right now on the roster. Mm-hmm. There's a room for talented women on the roster. Uh, we've <laughs> yeah, talked yeah. about it before. <laughs> I mean, I think they've got some issues there. Look, Trish is obviously like kind of nervous and didn't really cut these long form promos uh, back in the Attitude Era. Um, but I'm impressed with what she's been able to do given how long she's been away and she's being asked to do things she never had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but Becky did sort of 
own her a little bit on the back end of the promo. But I still thought it was a good give and take. Yeah, I keep forgetting that this match is coming up this weekend, and it feels too big for Night of Champions, but Trish is really getting the pops that you would want. Well, I think this is match one, and I think we're going to culminate this feud at at SummerSlam. I think that's that's where we're heading, right? So, like, this is Flair Michaels, you know? Like, this is such a big deal for women's wrestling. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's just been too long since Trish has been around and, you know, the kids don't know about her. And hell, even 18 to 20 year olds don't know about her. I, I don't know what the what the issue is, but I think the well, work she's doing is great. Trish has been around off and on in the last five or so years, ever since the women's evolution started. Like, she's been back a few times. Um, uh, enough times that I think mo- even casual fans recognize, they know who she is. But I think most of them probably don't remember the heel turn, right? Because she was only a heel for, well, actually, no, she was a heel for quite a while back, what was it, 04, 05, 06? Yeah, she had a couple heel runs. Um, yeah, well, she started as a heel. Um, but her defining heel run was turning on uh, Jericho at WrestleMania 20, which was fucking great. Um, And then she rode that up until basically her retirement. And she turned face like at the very end. Yeah. Such good shit though. I I think unanimous. Now, maybe some of our listeners might disagree because we are marks, but yeah. What was that fucking guy's name? Andy. (laughs) I could fuck off. Yeah, I think um, my good shit for the week, if I'm going to give flowers to anyone, it's going to be Imperium. Uh, Gunther is just... Man. I, I, it's hard to find the words to describe how good he is. Um, just an absolute fucking beast. And like, I like that he doesn't allow people to just throw him around. So like Kevin Owens and Sammy are trying to flip him out and he's like, Nope, you're going to have to push harder. Like make the shit look good guys. You know, you need to throw me out. It was a little detail, but I loved it because it was sort of like, yes, you're a grown man. Um, it's going to take a grown man to do something to you. And, uh, I, I think between Gunther and MJF, we're bringing back old school wrestling and it's, I just love to see it. Now, my drizzling shits for the week, um, really for the last couple weeks, since we're talking about Imperium, is Mustafa Ali. That little fucker being snarky and sort of trying to show up Gunther really pissed me off. I would have loved to see Gunther just slap the living shit out of him and show him what's up. I and I do not get the Mustafa Ali thing at all. Um, you know, I get that he can do a bunch of cool flips. He's a fucking charisma vacuum. I just don't get it. See, and I disagree. I, when he was a baby, like a, a a true blue baby face back in the day, he was really good. It's just his gimmick now is so, I don't know what it is. I don't know what he's trying to do. There's just, he gets such a big push compared to guys who I think are way more talented than him who get stuck with shit like a Chad Gable. I think you compare him to a Chad Gable, Chad Gable's infinitely more talented and a more dangerous human being. 
Let's be clear about that too. Oh, and sure. I know, Chad Gable could fuck you up. Um, and Chad Gable is so much more charismatic and great on the stick. And look, it's it's not the shit on Mustafa Ali hour. It's just I never understand why he gets such a big push compared to other guys who are. And every time it doesn't work, it never works. That that actually, I'm gonna play off of that. My my uh, drizzling shit for this week was not necessarily Mustafa Ali, but the match in general. Um, I think the reason he was chosen is because it will be a good match and it's a good person for Gunter to absolutely brutalize. It's a perfect person to slowly start making Gunter a face, which I think is what's starting to happen. Man, I hope is, is that we're he's he's not really transition. He's sort of just transitioning in who he's targeting. We're, he's just gaining respect with the audience with what he does and how he conducts himself in the ring. My only issue with this is he's getting so popular and he's so good. There's a real threat for the world heavyweight title that he's going to come for it right now would have been a good time to put somebody who could viably beat him in a match for the intercontinental title. And they kind of just chose somebody. It's like, okay, well there's no way Gunter's going to lose that title to that guy. Like you need somebody bigger and better for me to feel like, okay, maybe Gunther's going to lose and move on to something else. It's tough because they're so clearly trying to break the honky tonk man's record at this point. So it's going to take, it would take a lot, you know, like they'd have to, I don't know, short of bringing up like Braun breaker or something that you could convince me that Gunther might lose. You know what I mean? I don't think Gunther's going to lose it. I think we'll get to a point where he's, I think he's going to give it away. He's going to give it away. He's going to win the World Heavyweight Championship and just be like, either hand it off to Adam Pierce and be like, here, I'm done with this, or hand it to, you know, Ludwig or something. I I don't think he loses. I think he relinquishes. Are you a Ludwig guy or a Giovanni? Ludwig. Yeah. I think he's got an interesting look to him. You know, he doesn't look like a lot of other wrestlers, which and I think is very... a benefit if you're a heel. He's also very smooth with his mannerisms. So like every time, you know, Gunther does his entrance and he takes the coat off and hucks it behind him. Ludwig catches it every single time, spins it around on his arm and toss, you know, whatever. But he's so smooth with all of his mannerisms. And even when he's just picking up the mic, putting the mic down, grabbing a belt. He's a natural at moving around the ring. And then I'll lump all those things you said into that, right? Yeah. It's all sort of the same thing. Like, there's not a lot. Like, there's certain guys that have that. Like, like Kurt Hennig was like that. Yeah. Very just smooth with everything he did. Um, Owen Hart was like that. Yeah. It, I don't know if I'm seeing it, but I understand what you're saying. Right. I. Hey, I'm, I'm on board to give him. I wish they would treat the lackeys like legitimate threats. I think it'd be fucking awesome to see Imperium hold all the gold. I love mm-hmm. when they, I love when someone holds all the gold. It's one of my favorite things you do, but I, I mean, if we could just split the fucking tag titles and nah, give them, I just don't think we have enough tag teams for that because you keep beating all the other up and coming tag teams. So that's true. All the basic, well, for the last two years, all the teams lived to die to the Usos. That's it. That's all they existed for. 
Imperium's the only one that kind of got away from it and managed to not. It's even like you've got like War Machine who should be or could be something, and then you've got them just losing to Gable and Otis. And I love Gable and Otis, but it's like they're treated like a joke. Yeah, they're comedy act, and so how are you going to have War Machine lose to them? They need to scale back the Viking stuff. Like, I get that that's their deal. Like, in real life, that's their thing that they're into. Scale it back. You could still kind of have elements of that, but just don't come out like fucking actual goddamn Vikings, right? Just be two heavy-hitting motherfuckers who want to come out and punish people. Done. To me, I I, I think the gimmick is just so much... It's just so much of it that that's all people see. Oh, the Viking guys. Don't be the Viking guys. Be the oh, those those dudes that beat the shit out of everybody. Cool. You know what War Machine was <laughs> on the Indies, what they were in NXT. Yeah. And look, I'm I'm not saying that it's it would work out, but it's like you know, give him a shot. You're not doing anything mm-hmm. in the in the tag team division, right? Um, Ko and Sammy are not gonna keep teaming. You know, you've got that, to work. That's on coming to an end. Stars. Can we also talk about Bianca and Rhea both still have titles for the the wrong brands right now? (laughs) Holy shit. And they haven't addressed how that's going to change yet. I'm glad that they didn't do a stupid title switch. I'm glad. Yes. But are we going to address that? Like they're both defending titles for the opposite brand on the opposite show. And it's so stupid when you're watching SmackDown and they talk about Rhea, you know, Rhea Ripley's defending the Raw Women's Championship. And you're like, but this is SmackDown. Like, what are we doing? Or, or vice versa. I'm sorry. She's the SmackDown champ on Raw. But you get what I'm saying. It's just like, bro, what are we doing? And you could fool me into not realizing that they people have switched brands because we literally just had this Raw Women's Championship match at WrestleMania. And now both people are suddenly on SmackDown, but they're still competing for the Raw Women's Championship. It's a a little messy, and I'm hoping that it's because they're developing two new championships, and they're going to present them to them, Mm. and maybe even at Night of Champions, because that's like the point of the show. Right. I was kind of thinking, you do a deal where... They just like at WrestleMania 32, right? Hey, the winner of the Divas match will be the new women's champion. You bring out the belt, right? You could do the winner of the Raw Women's Championship will be the new WWE Women's Champion. The winner of the SmackDown one will be the WWE World Women's Champion. Whatever the fuck names we're going to come up with for these. It it may just even be like a rebranding where the Raw Women's Championship match becomes for SmackDown Women's title and it's a new title and the vice versa. It's a little bit wonky, but it's better than having Rhea and Bianca literally hand each other the the opposite titles. Well, the the simple solution here is you have one belt that's your women's world champion, and that's it. You can't have two fucking champions. And then you have a women's. And then when you brand them to the respective shows, this is what happens. Yeah. You think you're confused trying to figure out which belt goes where. I'm confused trying to figure (laughs) out which one is better than the other. Well, they're the same. They're both equally number one. But if they're both equally number one, why don't they wrestle each other? Kayfabe only. They do at Survivor Series. But not for the the one night a year that Ron Smackdown (laughs) go ahead to head out. (laughs) 
You the can't one night a year, fight. except literally all the time. <laughs> Look, you can do any of the things y'all suggested. I just suggest we just get rid of one of the fucking belts. Here's the other thing, Alec. You talked you talk about them. Well, if they're the best, why don't they fight each other for the belt? We did that at WrestleMania last year, and now Roman Reigns has had both fucking belts for the last year. Yeah, and it's year. great. It's the biggest thing that's happened <laughs> in WWE in over okay. a decade. So if we do that now, they're going to give them to Bianca. Do you want that? Hey, it'll make her more compelling. Will it, though? I think it'll finally get her booed whether they make her heel or not, which would make her more compelling. Okay. And also, then she has to wrestle the top women because you don't have half of them on one show and half of them on the other. Like, okay, super babyface Bianca, but having, like, 2016 Roman Reigns heat actually sounds incredibly interesting. Because that, man, that's the thing about the Roman Reigns thing is that Back then, it was actually compelling because it, you were so excited to see if he would finally lose. And then they had moments like that where like when Seth beat him for the title at Money in the Bank and then it ended up on Dean Ambrose. And it was just like, this is the coolest night ever because we finally got to see Roman lose. But there are ways to do that and they could do that with Bianca. It would be really good. Just have her be so super baby face that it's almost over the top. And you're just like, holy shit, I just want someone to punch her in the face. Yeah, you know, they used to do this. It was called the NWA Heavyweight Championship. Ric Flair would just go around and beat all your favorite heroes. And everybody hated him. It was great. But Roman does that now. They don't even need to lean into it, too. They don't even have to be like, oh, really ham it up so people really get annoyed with you. Just like, no, 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 WWE, you do what you do. We're already going to hate her no matter what. (laughs) You don't even, don't change a thing. Well... Speaking of hating things and people, I think it's a great transition to our main uh, topic for tonight. So we are going to draft the biggest failures in wrestling history. So this is kind of an open-ended topic for us in the sense that like, it could be a person, it could be a gimmick, it could be a show, it could be a match, it could be a, a booking decision. The sky is kind of the limit for something that you consider one of the biggest failures in wrestling. And I think it's also different because normally when we draft, we try to draft the best, best women's wrestler, best women's matches, best whatever. Now we're kind of going for like the worst, sort of. So uh, we're going to do a snake. Uh, The order that we have here is Alec. Me and Andrew. Who's so your I first think, pick? Yeah, I'm gonna go with probably a booking decision. And I, there's probably a couple you could go with. The one I'm going to pick is strictly based off the enormity to the business, and it's gonna be the Stone Cold Steve Austin heel turn at WrestleMania 17. Oof. Um I actually don't think the run itself was that bad. However, it definitely took the business from its peak and then started us onto the slow descent that we've been in for the last 20 years. Um, I mean, you can draw a direct line from the death of the attitude era to that moment. So while I love Stone Cold Steve Austin, I think that's the biggest blunder in the history of WWE. Well, and even he thinks so. I mean, to this day, he, he has said, I wish I could go back in time and call the audible and tell Vince, Hey man, I'm going to stun you. Because yeah, he knows better. So I think, yeah, I I think that's a good one one pick considering the enormity of the fuck up. 
All right. So for mine, I'm going to pick, I think, an equally detrimental booking decision. And I think we all know where I'm going with this. It's the finger poke of doom. It's essentially what creatively killed WCW. Right? There was a lot of reasons why WCW died. Uh, there's actually a fantastic book out called The Death of WCW that goes into great detail at every aspect of what did it. But creatively, this is what started that descent. Right? You had, number one, you have Tony fucking Schiavone being told to tell everybody, oh, oh Mick Foley's on the other channel right now winning the title, blah, 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 blah. Which made everybody change the channel. And then what you present is Kevin Nash just taking the fall for Hogan so that the NWO, for whatever reason, which is still never fucking explained to this day, decides to reform after all the bad blood they had just to give Hogan the belt again. Right. And in the process, you alienate everybody because within a span of days... You, you know, we had Starcade where where uh, Goldberg got lost, you know, finally lost and was pinned by Nash, and it was like, oh, what? You and know, it's this not something Vince wanted to see, by the way. Like I think yeah. that gets lost in this is Nash was over. He had that Nash blood over. feud with the NWO. Yeah, um, the Wolf Pack was, was hot. But the problem was by him beating Goldberg, the way he beat Goldberg. You took all the heat away. Well, it would have been fine, too, if the explanation was, hey, Scott Hall and Nash, they're just friends for life. It is what it is, bro. Right. But then once you got Hogan involved, yeah. and then all of a sudden, oh, because the NWOs are mashing, all of a sudden now Lex Luger's best friends with Scott Steiner? He's like, bro, what the fuck? You've spent the last year all of you guys fighting each other. Why are you besties all well, of a sudden? Well, it's really mad a symptom of the the original sin of WCW, which is the Hulk Hogan creative control. Mm-hmm. Right? Like they just could never shed that that piece. They would have been better off sending Hulk Hogan home, probably. By you the mean time like we get bash to the beach, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what I mean. Like at, at this point, it, it would have been a better financial decision to pay him to sit at home than to have him rewrite TV. Yeah, you know, multiple it, times. The, from that moment onward, I'm watching that as a kid and just being like, "What the." F- fuck and losing complete interest like just it's so funny too because one of my vivid memories as a little kid was asking you did kevin nash win at starcade and you're like yes he did it's like awesome and i remember being (laughs) so excited that kevin nash won at starcade and then yeah and that's what happened with it that rain was yeah and then we just sort of kind of stopped watching wcw and i don't remember why Uh, that's why yeah no, it's uh in terms of implications to the business, that actually might be a bigger deal than the Austin one. <laughs> I forgot about the finger poke, so how could you? It's so bad, it's good. Yeah, you had two hot properties, Goldberg and Nash, and then you killed them both in one night. Well it's not even and it's not even just Nash. The wolf pack was so over. Yeah, they're selling like so many shirts. Just financially. How much money they lost by not being able to sell wolf pack shirts. It, well, because then you killed it, and then you made the, that weird sunburst white and red NWO shirt that nobody bought. Jesus. And then you stopped selling regular Wolfpack shirts until, like, 2015. Like, 
I, it was so stupid. All right. We spent a lot of time on that. Uh, Andrew, what do you got? So I'm going to throw a curveball at you guys here because right now, you know, if we want to talk about the worst things in wrestling, I mean, we could just go on and on about WCW decisions that happened. I'm going to hit you guys with, we're going to talk about the 2011 stable, the core. Oh boy. So if you're not familiar, the core, uh, I'm actually not even going to get into that details. I'm going to let, I'm going to read this quick excerpt about the formation of the core from Wikipedia. It's going to sound like a fucking fever dream. So this, (laughs) this is from January of 2011 after Wade Barrett was kicked out of the Nexus by new leader CM Punk. He moved from Raw to SmackDown, and while under CM Punk, Heath Slater and Justin Gabriel refused to perform their initiation to stay in the group and left the Nexus. On January 14th episode of SmackDown, Gabriel and Slater interfered during Barrett's match with Big Show, attacking him. Then they were joined by Ezekiel Jackson, who continued (laughs) to attack and then performing a body slam on the Big Show. Then they started feuding with the Big Show. So I'm going to skip down to the Royal Rumble. They all competed in the Royal Rumble on January 30th, but were all eliminated by different wrestlers. In order, Gabriel by Daniel Bryan, Slater by John Cena, Jackson by Kane, and Barrett by Randy Orton, with Jackson eliminating Big Show and Barrett eliminating Rey Mysterio and Diesel out of fucking nowhere and making it to the final four. The group disbanded by June 10th of 2011 after getting absolutely buried at WrestleMania 27. Who booked this shit? Andrew, I think what you're missing... It's the core. There's only four. Yeah. You you forget the rule of four. It just didn't make any sense. They they created the the Nexus, buried the Nexus, and went, okay, well, we're just going to do something else with the Nexus, but we'll get the guys that we liked and then ruin them even more. But it's funny because the Punk Nexus was way more over than the core. Yeah, Yeah, because the Punk Nexus, he had them doing like insane rituals to like get initiated. That's why Slater and Gabriel and Kayfabe didn't want to join the group because he was like, you're going to like beat the shit out of each other as initiation. Well, Punk also had two things the punk nexus had two things you had punk and husky fucking harris that's all you need Holy shit uh and to a lesser extent michael mcgillicuddy but so here's the thing with the core that i never understood so the whole deal they cut a promo the first night when they were together which is basically we're four people four individuals we don't have a leader we're just four individuals who are together okay number one There was distinctly a leader to that group. It was Wade fucking Barrett. Number two, why would Heath Slater and Justin Gabriel join the group when they were in the Nexus under the leadership of Wade fucking Barrett? It didn't make sense in kayfabe why those two would join. It made sense why they didn't want to stay with the new Nexus, right? Because they didn't want to beat the shit out of their friends. Okay, whatever. But why are you joining a group where you're supposedly the whole grievance is, well, we're all individuals and we're, we don't have a leader, but you're still taking orders from the guy who you're taking orders from before, which is presumably why you're in a group now where you're not taking orders. But yet you are. 
It's like this infinite loop of fucking who's in charge. Yeah, this is... <laughs> it's peak WWE uh, chasing their own tail. You know? Like, it's just... I, I, you walk in, you're like, what the fuck are you doing? This was right before CM Punk cuts the pipe bomb and we enter, like, the era where things started to get the a reality bit more. era. Yeah, but this was just, like, Vince McMahon just doing peak weird PG shit. Just weird booking decisions with young guys that didn't make any sense, that were only sent to, like, serve John Cena and Diesel for some reason. Just... You know, we got to get the big show over. After well, the funniest the part business. of this is the implication of the core branching off means that Punk now owns the Nexus, which means that one of the greatest WB promos to ever be cut features. Like the highlight package features Punk dancing around in Nexus gear. Like he's wearing a Nexus shirt throughout that whole run leading up to the Money in the Bank 2011. At Money in the Bank, he enters to the neck. Oh, no, he has his own music, but he's, but the, he's Nexus the Nexus fucking video. Titan drawn. Yeah. And he has a Nexus shirt <laughs> it's on. It's so it? weird oh, no. that he's forever linked to the Nexus. Yeah, because it was ultimately a thing that was like three months long, but <laughs> it got immortalized because of the run that he was on. To be fair to CM Punk, he made it more compelling because... The way that he wasn't interested in being in the Nexus, he just like, you know, manipulated his way into it so that he could beat up Randy Orton and he needed like heaters to beat up Randy Orton. That was kind of the whole reason he did. Yeah, punk can make anything work. It doesn't mean you should force him to make anything work. But punk could have. Here's the thing. He he eventually kicked essentially kicked out all of the original Nexus people and had the new Nexus, right? He could have just gone to NXT and brought those guys up and said, this is my new group. Fuck you, Randy Orton. He didn't need to take over the Nexus. Well, yeah, I mean, he he had that. He's like, let's make this thing called the Shield. And they're like, no, you can have the new Nexus. No, the next timelines are conflated there, but yeah. Shield. Yeah, Shield was a few years. You later. get what I'm saying. It's like Punk's vision of what like a stable should be. He's like, I've got the straight society. It's like, no, you don't. You've got new Nexus now. <laughs> Well, and Punk probably at first was like, okay, I got the Susky Harris dude. He's pretty cool. Oh, I got Kurt Hennig's son. Oh, that's cool. No, 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 no. This is Michael McGillicuddy. Like, uh, oh. Oh, and here's Mason Ryan. Oh. Yeah. I think we've spent more time on the core than WWE <laughs> did coming up with the idea. Jesus Christ. Um, God, okay. So it's back on me. Wait, uh, wait doesn't Andrew get back-to-back picks here? Oh, that's right. He got he gets back-to-back picks. I'm sorry. Yeah, so I'm going to give you guys another treat. We're going to talk about WCW's 7. <sighs> now, Hell so yeah. if you're not familiar, when WCW <laughs> brought back Dustin Rhodes, who at the time was uh, coming off of a run as Goldust in WWF, they started airing these vignettes of him with like just a white face, like weird, like red under the eyes. He had an undertaker hat, but then like a leather, like trench coat kind of thing with like belt buckles on it. Like very thin belt buckles. Um, 
And so they're they're doing these these promos, they're building it up, and eventually he finally comes out and there's all you know, all this hoopla for it, and then he just says Turn off the music now. I want everybody in here to take a good look at the crap I'm in. I left World Wrestling Federation for gimmicks like this. For all of you who don't know, I was Goldust and Goldust sucked. Goldust nearly ruined my career. And he kind of goes on about that. It basically just shits on what he's doing and how frustrated he is with it. And he says, so from this moment on tonight and the rest of your lives, I'm going to make your life a miserable hell. I'm going to make WCW a miserable hell and TNT too. So, boys, I know you're back there staring your little fat asses at the monitor looking at me. You know one thing tonight and forevermore. You will never forget the name Dustin Rhodes. So, basically, what happened is that the gimmick was dropped because before the promo, Turner Standards and Practices saw the vignettes and said, and this is a quote, he looks like a child abductor. So they just had him go out and drop the whole gimmick. For the record, I don't think he looked like a child abductor. He kind of looked like a cross between Uncle Fester and Hellraiser. Right? He looked sufficiently freaky, weird, whatever. He looked like a child abductor because they were making promos where he was being a child abductor. <laughs> sure. Yeah. If, yes. Because it was like the promo where he was like peering into a kid's window at night or some crap. Like maybe you just don't do that. Um, I just remember being so fucking confused about this. Cause I remember watching it live being like, Oh fuck yeah. Gold dust is here. And, and he floated, he had a neat entrance. He like, he was on like a harness and he kind of just like floated about two feet above the, the ramp, like all the way down to the ring. And then he cuts his fucking promo and I was like, what? And then he disappears for a while, I believe. And then it, he does show up. Uh, as Dustin Rhodes a little bit in WCW towards the end. And then he's back in WWF again. I was like, what the fuck happened? Doing gold dust. I might add. Yes. Doing gold dust. The thing that got him over and the best thing, you know, ultimately is going to give him a hall of fame career. Right. Yeah. uh, I don't know how much drugs had to play into this, but I'd imagine some knowing his history. So you hear that kids' drugs are fucking awesome. What? Uh, no, 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 no. Yeah, you the get drugs to do cool bad. things like have mental breakdowns on TV. I would love to have a mental breakdown on TV. Hell yeah. It's better than, you know, having it just like in my kitchen. Yeah, around you know? the house. Yeah. <laughs> Chilling with my wrestling figures, having a fucking mental breakdown. So, Andrew, a couple deep cuts there. Uh, let's see if Matt can bring us back to the mainstream with the... Nope, I've got the deepest fucking cut possible. Oh, Jesus. We're going to hit bone here. Uh, tell me, gentlemen, have you heard the legend of Mega Man Tom McGee? Uh, I believe I recognize this name, but I'm going to let you tell tell your thing. <laughs> so the legend of Tom McGee. Uh, so back in the late 80s, uh, there was this bodybuilder guy named Tom McGee who... Vince got a good look at him and was just like, oh, yeah. And so they brought him on some loops to do some dark matches. Uh, And he had, I believe, two matches with Bret Hart. And apparently, supposedly, him and Bret Hart had 
the greatest match of all time at this dark match. And the tape was then lost to time. No one ever saw it, but it was just, it went, the word went around that this was like the greatest thing of all time. And then ultimately McGee, I don't, he, he was probably on TV a few times. Uh, he worked sporadically over the next year, but that was it. He ultimately never went anywhere, obviously. Um, but for years, this legend built about this fucking match, about how great it was. And of course, everybody's like, well, yeah, but Bret Hart could get a five-star match out of a fucking broomstick, so like, whatever. And there's kind of these two camps of, oh my god, you know, this guy could have been the next Hulk Hogan. This guy could have been what Lex Luger ended up being, right? He, he could have been a huge fucking thing, because Vince wanted him to be a huge fucking thing. And uh, a few years ago... Uh, a girl named uh, Mary Kate, who's she's involved in the business in in a, in a tangential way. Bret Hart had given her a box of tapes to go through and kind of label to get ready to like take from VHS and convert over to DVD or to digital is what I believe the story was. So she's going through all these tapes, right? And some of them have no labels, or they have like a random like you know seven twenty three ninety one date and it's like what the fuck is this right so she's going through these and she stumbles across the tom mcgee brett hart match because apparently back in the day brett would make them record any matches he had even if they were dark matches so he could take them and watch them later on so the only reason we have this match is because brett was like hey give me a cop you know make sure you'd copy this tape or copy my match whatever and so that just was sitting in brett's garage for the last 30 years and so wwe made a big deal i remember she posted about it online and it was just like hey i found this i think this might be this and everyone's like what, what's the match like and and of course they wanted her to post the video and she's like well this is wwf's copyrighted material i can't just post it for you wwe gets a hold of the footage and they ended up doing a special on the network a few years ago about this match it was like the lost tape or the lost legend of tom mcgee and they did a whole documentary they went interview tom mcgee they talked to brett um and they played the match in its entirety and uh it was a typical just dark match house show match it was fine there was nothing great about it you could see why vince looked at this Tom McGee guy and said, oh, he's going to be something. But if you really watch the match, you can tell Brett's doing everything. And Tom is just sort of standing there being a big buff dude. So my pick is Mega Man Tom McGee. Huh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to follow that. Um, Okay, so I'll take us on a wild goose chase. Um, I'm going to go with biggest blunder. Shawn Michaels loses his smile. And I'm going to make the argument that that directly leads to Shawn Michaels breaking his fucking back and Bret Hart having a stroke. So Shawn Michaels loses his smile, right? So that creates, like, basically... 
permanent damage to his relationship with Brett, right? We get deprived of the, the rematch between the two of them inadvertently helps create stone cold Steve Austin, but you know, uh, so that that sends us down the path towards Bret Hart getting the basically needing to leave WWE, right? Getting forced out. So Bret Hart goes to WCW, right? Montreal Screwjob happens. Bret Hart gets kicked in the head by Goldberg a few years later, has a stroke, fucks up the life of one of the greatest wrestlers in the history of the business. Shawn Michaels then goes into the feud with Undertaker where he breaks his fucking back in the casket match. I would argue if Shawn Michaels doesn't lose his smile, there's no reason for Bret Hart to to leave the company um, and do the Montreal Screwjob and all that goes down. And Bret and Shawn probably keep feuding for several more months. We probably don't have a casket match. Shawn Michaels doesn't break his back, doesn't go on hiatus. Bret Hart doesn't have a stroke. Uh, you know, so goddamn Shawn really fuck shit up. So I think you could trace the smile, the losing the smile back to the having the feud with Taker and ultimately leading to breaking his back. I don't think Brett leaving WWF and that are connected. When doesn't Brett coming out of the lose your smile thing, that's sort of when he, his contracts up, he demands the massive deal. He's, he you know, jockeying anyway. with Sean. I just wonder how much that played into it. I think, like, even does, if him does and Brett Sean... hold hold Vince over a barrel? When does he get the new deal? Ninety seven. Uh, I think it's early ninety seven, late ninety six, early ninety seven. Yeah, I, I just wonder if that deal goes down differently if I think Brett had got same. his win back against Sean at, at the Mania. Nah, I think it's the same. I don't think that I don't. But think is it Vince so keen to <clears throat> force him out of the company a year later? If him, him it was and a financial Sean thing. Having, it was a, entirely a financial thing. So I unless, don't know if it was entirely a financial unless thing, Sean. The assumption from everything that we've heard from every but all parties involved, it was a financial thing. Unless Sean and Brett at doing business at thirteen is so fucking massive that it turns the tide in the Monday Night War. It might have because that's the biggest match they had for years, and they couldn't run it. So okay, in that scenario, if you go that path, okay, I guess you can make the argument that maybe Brett doesn't leave. I'm under the impression that he does. I think he still leaves no matter what. Well, because originally I wanted to do biggest blunder, Brett leaves. But then I was like, well, hold on a minute. Most of this is because Sean's a fuckhead. But, you know, okay. I, I, I still think the losing the smile thing just did, you know, massive damage to late 90s professional wrestling. Really fucked some shit up. Um, um, all right, what's your uh, next pick? Yeah, swing back around. Let me think here. I'm going to go with the uh, underutilization of Dolph Ziggler. Mm. Um, you can take your pick throughout his career. I think he's one of the physically most supremely talented wrestlers we've had, maybe, you know, all time, honestly. Um, Could have been the next Shawn Michaels, Hurt Flair, take your pick. Um, and I think the moment was probably Survivor Series 2012. When he does the 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 lone Survivor thing, um, 
I, I really feel like they could have turned him into a mega star. But like I said, I'll, I'll just take Dolph Ziggler across the board. I think it's a uh, tragic outcome if you run his career a hundred times. Um, he probably has a better outcome like 90 of those 100 times. I think we got kind of the low end of, of what he was capable of. All right. Uh, so for my next one, this one's going to be a bit of a departure um, in the sense that I think a lot of people would not view this person as a failure, but I think they are based on where they could have gone and what they could have done for the business. Uh, this man right up here, the ultimate warrior. Uh, to me, warrior is one of those guys that could have, should have been the next Hulk Hogan, right? We, he was built up to be that at WrestleMania six, but boy could not handle everything, right? He was too egotistical. He didn't fully understand how the business works he didn't understand about safety. He didn't understand about work, you know, working with your opponent. He didn't understand. He didn't even give a shit about the fans, right? He, he, there's notorious stories about him, you know, being in an airport with little kids coming up to him and being like, Hey, can I get your autograph? And him being like, leave me alone. Like, bro, what fuck? Um, he, in, in the way that his career ended, you know, was a fucking blaze of, of fucking glory and and not really the good kind of glory, right? He had that initial WWF run, fine, dandy, right? But then he leaves because he holds up Vince for money at SummerSlam because he's a fuckhead. Um, and then he leaves, comes back again, and then it sort of just peters out. And then he comes back again in '96 and just makes stupid demands creatively forces them to have triple H job to him at mania. And he was supposed to go over anyway, but like it wasn't supposed to be a job. And then it was, um, wearing a fucking baseball cap in the, the gimmick where Jerry Lawler hit him on the head with the framed, uh, photo, the frame painting, even though ultimate warrior never in his career wore a goddamn baseball hat. But yet that one promo he did, which telegraphed what was happening. Cause he's a fucking douche. Um, and then he started going down the path with all the, the weird no call, no shows at house shows and televised events and claiming it had to do with his, his, his father who Vince knew like he was estranged from his father for decades. So why did he care all of a sudden now? And then he started going into that weird warrior university shit. Like, he went down a really weird place at the end of his career. And it's a shame because if he'd have cared more about the profession he was in, he could have been as big as Hulk Hogan to this day. And yes, Ultimate Warrior is a big deal. People remember him. People know who you're talking about. But when you look back at the body of his work, he could have done so much more. So I, to me, I... I He's a failure in the sense that he could have been so much bigger than he ended up being. It does make you wonder, but also, I don't know. I think that there's some positives that came out of it, mainly the WWE DVD that uh, shit all over him being quite an entertaining piece. Jesus um, Christ. So that's our one positive that we get. That's our, that's our net positive. 
from Ultimate Warrior being a fuckhead. Wow. So is it my turn again? I don't know how this rotation's working anymore. It's yours, and you get two, and then that's it for you. Okay, well, so for mine, we're going to talk about Heidenreich. So now, if you guys don't remember anything about Heidenreich, this is around 2004. Uh, He wears red trunks. He's got blonde hair. There's not really much else about him. He kind of just looks like he's doing meth. That's just sort of his, like, vibe. He's very uh, aggressive and energetic. We're specifically going to talk about a segment that they aired that may have been a rib, but is not funny even a little bit, where Heidenreich basically um, corrals Michael Cole backstage and pushes him up against the wall. He then whispers into Michael Cole's ear about wanting the same things and having similar desires and then like jerks him around and chokes him and like turns him around. And it's basically implied that he violates Michael Cole. Um, it's honestly it's a unbelievable. Bit funny. It, it's unbelievable that th- this aired in 2004, but when you consider the, you know, some of the other stuff that happened, like not even like two years prior to this, that I'm, I won't mention in case one of you guys plan on discussing it. it it's just unbelievable uh, this basically ends his career, by the way. <laughs> he doesn't recover from this segment. Um, and basically, that that's kind of it for him. The, the last time he's seen after that is like in an insane asylum with Paul Heyman claiming he never wants to go back to WWE in like some kind of like segment. What's a fun fact that I will say, though, uh, is Heidenreich initially had debuted uh, saying that he was being controlled by a little Johnny. Holy shit. And that, I they kind of they kind of dropped that whole thing. But it, it's interesting because it makes you wonder if WWE recycled that when they gave it to R Truth as the little Jimmy little thing. Jimmy. And of course little Jimmy got over because R Truth is the funniest person to ever wrestle in the history of all time. High fucking praise for our truth. I mean, are we not going to talk? Our truth is fantastic. Yeah, the funniest wrestler of all time. Yeah, I, I feel. Mean, I think I so. I feel like he's got probably the funniest moments, at least in the modern era. Yeah, I mean, he's you Curry. You got Kurt Angle. Our um, truth broke Brock Lesnar on TV. Huh. There's there's some fun. I mean, you got The Rock. There's some funny wrestlers, but sure. He's in the mix, I guess. All right, so my, uh, my last pick, uh, this one isn't necessarily funnier, but we're going to talk about how ECW lost the ability to sign Kurt Angle. So if you guys don't know, Kurt Angle got word about ECW because a friend of his was friends with Shane Douglas and it got pitched to him as more like amateur wrestling, which is not true, but it did get Kurt Angle's interest and he went to a W or an ECW show. And during the show, Sandman defended his ECW championship against two cold Scorpio. And after the match, Raven's nest came out and attacked him 
and then tied him to a wooden cross and gave him a crown made of barbed wire and basically did a crucifixion. And Kurt Angle was so unbelievably offended that he threatened to sue Paul Heyman if he aired it with him in the broadcast. And that was how ECW lost Kurt Angle as a potential signing. Yeah, it's yeah. an all-time great story. That was a big thing when, like, later on when in, when Kurt Angle obviously became a big deal in WWE, and that story kind of made the rounds. It was like, oh fuck, <laughs> what a monumental fuck up. Yeah, you couldn't have known at the time how much they messed up because I mean, like, if that was like Gable Stevenson, like, is it really a big deal? But <laughs> right, right, right. Kurt Angle. I mean, we know now, absolute legend. It could have been a game changer for ECW, possibly. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned ECW because my uh, my last pick is WWE CW. <laughs> the failure that just failed so hard. Um, you know, look, I I don't want to. I, I feel like we've talked about WWE CW before, and. Look, the story is out there enough. I'm not going to beat it to death, but like this was the WWE half-hearted revival of ECW that got just destroyed on night one because sci-fi had all these weird requirements for it to be on the sci-fi network. Um, And then within weeks, we were jobbing out the ECW originals in favor of the new the new generation, uh, you know, which some of it was fine, right? You got CM Punk, obviously. But then you also got guys like Kevin Thorne and fucking Elijah Burke and then so on. And it was like, oh, fuck. Um, <laughs> there were parts of WWE CW that were, were cool because you did get some new new up and coming people. And they gave some of those guys a, a place to work. Uh, whereas otherwise they probably wouldn't have even gotten to SmackDown, right? They would have been stuck on like Velocity. So like, okay, there were some benefits there. But ultimately, it tarnished the legacy of WD- of of ECW, and I mean, fuck. By the end of it, I mean, fucking EC uh, Ezekiel Jackson was the final fucking ECW champion from the lineal ECW championship. Like, how fucking discouraging is that? Yeah, it's sad. Um, it's just not canon, so it's fine. It is canon, unfortunately. Nah, it's not. Okay. It's canon, but like nobody gives a shit. Look, kids, you'll learn as you get older. Life is, you got to treat your life like a choose your own adventure and just, you know, make certain things canon, make other things not canon. That's how <laughs> it's you okay by. to ignore facts. Like the new Star Wars trilogy. Just like, oh yeah, this those didn't happen, so it's fine. Anything involving Ezekiel Jackson, you can pretend didn't happen. Exactly. Yeah. I don't even know who that is. Okay. So is it me? Is that what's happening? It's on you. Final pick. Yeah. Um, Are we going to do some honorable mentions? Sure. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I think since I start with Stone Cold, I'll end with Stone Cold. And I'll do the biggest blunder in the history of the wrestling business is Eric Bischoff firing Stone Cold Steve Austin via FedEx. Um, yeah, as badly run as WCW was, I'm not sure WWF could have made enough money without Stone Cold to eventually buy WCW. Uh, we might still have WCW if Bischoff simply just 
kept Austin on the roster, not doing anything. But he didn't, and he became the biggest uh, star in the history of the business, and they made so much fucking money. Vince was able to buy WCW's tape library, its brand, the belts, everyone's contracts, everything. Uh, so I think that's probably the biggest blunder in the history of the business. Um, I do want to give a couple shout outs because. But hold on, before you do that, I do want to play devil's advocate with a Stone Cold sure. thing. So let's assume Bischoff doesn't fire him, right? Austin. Austin would have to have been pushed to yeah, be a bigger Yeah, Austin star. doesn't become Austin in WCW. Right, no, he definitely doesn't. My question is, does he even become as big as he could be? Because, like, he was popular. He was over. But they wouldn't let him get above the U.S. title picture there. They just would not let him do it. If you never, if that never happens, if he never gets above that, could he even make the... I mean, I guess your argument is because he never goes to WWF, he never helps them. Yes, that's the main right. thing. Okay. Um. Yeah. Yeah. All right, honorable mentions, what you got? Yeah, so uh, I, I think it's shocking that no one brought up the Summer of Punk 2011. Uh, one of the biggest <laughs> blunders in the history of the business, the way that shit was handled. Uh, Holy shit. Yeah, he, he goes into a exciting feud with Kevin Ash and then does a job to Triple H. Um, so that was bad. And then he drops the title to uh, Alberto de Rio, doesn't he? Yeah. And then I'll throw a, I'll throw a personal Christ. favorite out. I'm going to go with uh, Das Wonder Kid, Alex Wright. Excuse I me. I love Alex Wright. He was not Wright. a failure. No, but I think it's sad the way he was used. I think he would have been a lot better to come up now or in the 80s. I just think the Attitude Era was not the right place it for him. It was not the right time for him. Guy's though. still only 48 years old. Could probably have a match tomorrow. Wait, what? Yeah, he's so young. Dude, get him in the ring with AJ Styles yeah. like today. Um, Alex it. Wright was the fucking man. He was like Dolph Ziggler before Dolph Ziggler. You, the only thing that sucked about it, I, I thought about putting Berlin on my list because the Berlin gimmick was just so stupid. All it was was just goth Alex Wright. But then like he, he, he was just he, he stopped being able to wrestle like it was so weird. Right, because like it's almost—I guess he was purposely trying to change his move set when he went from you know Das Wunderkind to Goth, and yeah. it just was like, well, he put on a ton of weight too. Didn't he bulk up like bulk the fuck up? I I don't know. I don't remember. I feel like he bulked up a lot, and it just was not good. But uh, yeah, Alter was fucking awesome. So those are my honorable mentions. I don't know if you guys have any. I'm trying to think. I don't know. I, there was a bunch of people that I thought about. A bunch of things that I thought about putting on my list. Um, There's some bad booking decisions in the history of oh, the business. I mean, definitely you can bad take a lot of the Roman Reigns early booking decisions were pretty big fuck ups. Because they could have been making this kind of money for years with him if they just did it right from the get go. Well, I guess that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Um, please remember to follow us on Twitter and Facebook, Such Good Shit Pod. Make sure that you rate and subscribe to us on whatever podcast listening platform you like. And email us, suchgoodshitpal at gmail.com. And maybe I'll read your email, as disparaging as it might be, on the air. 
Uh, do we have any parting words? Uh, what was his name? Fucking Joseph. Joseph was the first guy that just said, fuck you. Yeah, yeah. Fuck you, dude. Look, you really needed to revisit that? (laughs) Yeah, I just want to make sure that we don't forget. Look, Joseph (laughs) brought it in my message to all of you out there who are thinking that we should fuck off. I think we can take it. Bring us your hate and I'll feed off of it.